drought, we've been talking about drought a lot. Here, we've been doing okay. But the southwest, which is, you know, where most of our stuff has grown now, has been experiencing a pretty substantial drought. Drought ended the Maya Empire. Is California next? Once upon a time, the Mesoamerican lowlands of Mexico and Guatemala belonged to the classical Maya Empire, a civilization on par in what we now call ancient Greece, which is to say, pretty damn civilized. The Maya built major cities for tens of thousands of people, established complex political systems, industrialized agriculture, and then they built these things called pyramids. I mean, you know, hmm. they're kind of around still. Yeah. And they did all that, you know, without any modern anything. Yeah. Well, modern, I guess probably modern architectural skills, but <laughs> they didn't have, you know, backhoes and cranes and such. And then everything changed. Around 900 A.D. I lost it. Yeah. Well, around then the empire collapsed and their splendid city-states faded into ruin. By the time Europeans made it across the pond, the Aztecs were the new kids on the block and the Maya glory days were a distant memory. So what had happened? In a word, drought. Well, probably not just droughts. You know, there are other things like political instability, which surely we don't have any of that here. And the odd conquering army may have played a part. But new research is making connections between the Maya collapse and the 200-year-long dry spell in which it took place. Wow, 200 years. You know, here we're complaining about four or five years. Imagine 200 years of it. Now, specifically, the researcher shifted through centuries' worth of digested plant matter layered at the lake's bottoms. Man, think of that job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's got to be smelly. <laughs> In search of the preserved molecules of ancient dried out leaves. Plants lose water through their foliage and they recoup it through their roots, especially in times of drought, which more water evaporates than can be recovered. So they were able to look it up. What the scientists found were signs that drought clearly correlated with the timing of the Maya collapse. And where the drought seemed the most intense, ditto the collapse. With this kind of research can only track correlations between climate and culture. This study was just one of one piece of a growing body of evidence that shows how prolonged drought can exacerbate the political instability, war, or population collapse that topples an otherwise robust society. I mean, my personal opinion, a lot of the wars and strifes that are happening around the world now are directly related to drought. Yeah, like the biggest example in my mind, because I saw a program about it, was the Syria conflict, that there was a drought right before they had the civil war and all the fighting going on there. There was a, a prolonged, exceptional drought, and the drought led to people being hungry and being restless, and so you know, it exacerbated existing con conditions and led to war. Well, if you want to really stretch it out, what's happening in Boston is the same thing. Hmm. I. I mean, the access to food and just, you know, common um, things to survive yeah. is causing a lot of issues there. I mean, um, I'm trying to think, not not intellectual drought, but um, agricultural drought. Yeah, like food deserts. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, well, that's people who have access to food and water tend to take it for granted, but... 
if your society doesn't have enough food, enough water, it's going to collapse. There's not really much you can do. So drought is a very serious concern. Food is a very serious concern. Yeah. Removing antibiotics from food makes a difference. Removing GMOs doesn't. <laughs> a lot of food companies are jumping on the transparency wagon. Panera, Chipotle, and Pepsi are labeling foods and removing controversial ingredients. And then there's the commendable push by Purdue, McDonald's, and Tyson to reduce antibiotic use. In general, these are good things. But transparency all only helps if it shows us something useful rather than simply functioning as a self-serving act of marketing. Time, let's see, wrote an article, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. So the, let's see. I mean, part of it is the campaign by Panera to just literally eliminate hard-to-pronounce words. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, if you can't pronounce it, you probably shouldn't eat it kind of deal. Um, I mean, you know, they, they eliminated food coloring. Yeah. But they also eliminated, you know, things like calcium and sodium lactate. You know, those are more about public relations than public health. Yeah. Panera is basically removing every ingredient with a sciency sounding name. Well, you can just change the name. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. what do they do with high fructose corn syrup? It's now called corn sugar. Yeah, corn sugar, I think. Yeah, there. <laughs> it's like, um, for example, Panera is cutting caffeine. <laughs> what were they adding caffeine to anyway? <laughs> Just like, and maybe they're adding extra caffeine to drinks. I don't know. That's well, a strange but, one. Um, and then vanillin, which the chemical that grows in vanilla beans and gives them their distinct scent. Yeah. Now, why would they cut out that one? That doesn't seem like there's any need to. Well, I think that's artificially made now. Oh, okay. And so well. they, you know, you can add it to stuff to make it smell good. Yeah. But it's, you know. Yeah, I guess if they're switching to the original vanilla beans, they are not. <laughs> <they're> <laughs> that not. would be. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, so Chipotle's move to non-GMO ingredients is even less substantial because you still get the herbicides and the insecticides. Now, the, you know, the term GMO is a symbol that stands for heavy pesticide use and environmentally dubious farming practices. So now Chipotle is changing what GMO means because mm. GMO means a, a not only a way of – so, I mean, essentially – you can get rid of GMOs, but then use stuff that has a lot of chemicals in it. Yeah. Like a lot of people will see that something is GMO free and they, well, similar things happen with organic too. Like people hear that it's organic and they think that everything is fine with the production, but there might still be other issues with, you know, even environmental issues with the product. Now, I mean, getting rid of the antibiotics in food is phenomenal because, I mean, it's reached the point that a lot of people, if they need to take antibiotics from the hospital, the antibiotics don't work. Yeah. Because they've been getting small doses of antibiotics all the time and what the bacteria and that you have in you yeah, it doesn't do anything. Doesn't to do it. anything. That's part of evolution. You know, bacteria they they reproduce quickly, so they have a, a fast evolution cycle. So you keep throwing antibiotics at them when you don't need to, and you get antibiotic resistance. And, you know, besides, part of, it's also symptomatic of mistreatment of the animals, too, because 
If you have to constantly give the animal antibiotics for it to survive, you're probably not keeping that animal in good living conditions. And why did I bring up this article at all? Well, part of it is there's been a huge backlash against Chipotle by saying they're going GMO-free. Mm-hmm. And I looked into it. I was like, why are people, you know, yelling at Chipotle? Because they're still using completely conventional food to replace it. Yeah. So they're going GMO-free, but then they're just switching it over to something that's full of chemicals. Yeah. Um, so it's a superficial change. And so if companies actually want approval from the press, and more importantly, from the public, they have to prove that their reforms mean actual improvements to public and environmental health. Yeah. Not just, you know, some superficial something. So, but the trend is going in the right direction. And that's because the public demands it. So. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe they'll read this article and they'll reevaluate <laughs> Maybe. What do you mean? Maybe they listen to us. Yeah, <laughs> they're listening right now. I'm sure someone who works at the local Panera is calling the headquarters right now. <laughs> Quick, we got to adjust our strategy. All right. So in other news, the oldest city in the U.S. could be totally screwed by rising seas. What? <laughs> A city that's going to be sunk underwater? Surely not. Rising seas are about to engulf the oldest city in the U.S. Oh, wow. I wonder which one that is. Well, it doesn't look like anyone's going to do anything about it. That's because the city of St. Augustine happens to be in Florida, where pythons roam free, Mickey Mouse is king, and climate change doesn't exist. (laughs) Or at least they don't admit to it. St. Augustine is home to Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon's Fountain of Youth, an old military fortress, and, like any respectable, respectable historical site, plenty of brick roads and old buildings. The 450-year-old national landmark also happens to be one of many cities along Florida's coast getting increasingly worried about rising seas. A curious trend given the state's exemption from a certain global phenomenon. Yeah, well, that's I've heard this in other places, too, that, I mean, we never know anything in this state about a disconnect between the state capital and the rest of the state, right? <laughs> what? But they apparently in Florida, they have a disconnect between in Tallahassee, they deny climate change, and then in southern Florida, they're really concerned about it because they're the ones who are actually going to sink. Well, they're not going to sink. The water's going to bubble up, and they're going to disappear under well, <laughs> yeah. the water. Yeah, the water's going to rise. I, I was going to try to be, you know, it's different. Yeah, it's Climate a, change isn't going to happen. Just the sea levels are going to rise. Yeah, just coincidentally, at the same time all these glaciers are melting mm-hmm. and such, the sea is rising. <laughs> So to figure out what the state plans to do about these mysterious rising seas, Associated Press reporters sifted through thousands of state documents and emails. Here's some of what they found. Despite warnings from water experts and climate scientists about risks to cities and drinking water, skepticism over sea level projections, and climate change science has hampered planning efforts at all levels of government, the record showed. Florida's environmental agencies under Governor Scott have been downsized and retooled, making them less effective at coordinating sea level rise planning in the state, documents showed. Retooled is an interesting word for, you know, basically saying you're going to do something else. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like, like <laughs> yeah, go pick up some litter, you know, don't worry about climate change. <laughs> I'm trying to rem- think of a good analogy, like, you know, there's wildfires coming over the hill and... uh uh, wildfires coming over the hill, and you decide, well, let's cut our fire department in half. 
Like, you know, we know that fire is about 10 minutes away, but we don't really need firefighters, do we? Yeah, but it's only going to hit those guys, not yeah. us. Yeah, it's only going to hit the poor side of town. Let's not worry about it. Yeah, there you go. That's sort of a good analogy. So the Associated Press found that local officials in St. Augustine and elsewhere are trying to adapt to seeing rising seas, but are pretty much on their own. There's no help from the state or feds. Um, if you would like to receive... The, and read the complete article. We just tried to synopsize it. Please send us an email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. And if you would like to receive the complete newsletter, which I actually sent out this morning before the show. So, you know, you could be reading along while we're talking and see some of the pictures and some of the videos. So, yeah. Maybe that could be a new nonprofit, like sort of how the Red Cross and other nonprofits help during disasters. You could have a nonprofit that helps local people who are not being helped by their government to prepare for climate change. Um, isn't that supposed to be FEMA's job? Yeah, it's supposed to be FEMA. It's supposed to be state agencies, but they're not always doing their job. I have good news, and I have bad news. Yeah. Which would you like first? Oh, let's get some good news first. Good news? We don't have any. Okay. First, the bad news. <laughs> let's go with the bad news first. The atmosphere just passed another doom threshold there are now more than 400 parts per million of co2 up there actually we've crossed that line before but that was just for a few hours or days at a handful of observation sites this time we're talking about the average global concentration of co2 for a whole month making march 2015 officially the doomiest month of the millennium so far <laughs> from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Agency, quote, It was only a matter of time that we would average 400 parts per million globally, said Peter Stans, lead scientist of NOAA's Global Greenhouse Gas Reference Network. Quote, We first reported 400 parts per million when all of our Arctic sites reached that value in the spring of 2012. In 2013, the record crossed in um, Mauna Lao Observ Observatory. Now, reaching 400 parts per million as a global average is a significant milestone. For reference, the pre-industrial levels of CO2 was around 280. And the first measurement made in 1959 at Mauna Lao was 313. The number has been growing since then at an average rate of more than one parts per million per year since 1977. Some years the increase was actually above two parts per million. Scientists think that we need to reduce atmospheric CO2 concentration to 350 parts per million if we are to avoid the worst of climate chaos, of which pessimists say. <laughs> Bad chance. <laughs> the good news is, um, yeah, I really didn't think that far ahead. I guess the good news is, even though we blundered past yet another bad milestone, there are some positive trends simultaneously at work, like the fact that emissions from energy sources flatline in 2014. Not enough to end global warming in and of itself, but a good sign that we are at least starting to reverse the crazy emission spike we've been in since the 70s. Now, if you would like to check the pros and cons yourself, you can check out the 
I forgot what the acronym. Oh yeah, no, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric <laughs> Association. I said that in the yeah. beginning because it's just an abbreviation. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can send you the link to that again. Info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Yeah. Well, it's going to take a lot of work to get. We're already at four hundred, and to get back down to three fifty. <laughs> Today is. National Bike to Work Day. I know I forgot to put that in the calendar. Oh, yeah. I just thought of that. Um, that means at the downtown pavilion, there'll be lunch. Ooh. So show up, bike. Show up with your bike. There you go. If you walk up, they'll tell you to go back home and get your bike. <laughs> it's like, drive home <laughs> to get your bike. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so. So one last news story before we get to the happenings. People can't get enough of Tesla's new batteries. World's chillest billionaire, Elon Musk, announced this week that demand for his new energy storage device is, quote, crazy off the hook. I I, believe that's a technical economic term. I wish we could show the picture that goes along with this article. Uh I've never seen someone smirking with such (laughs) self-satisfied arrogance as that picture. I saw that picture. He's just so happy. (laughs) He's just like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like Christmas over at Tesla Energy. (laughs) According to Bloomberg Business, Musk's new home and utility scale battery business, Tesla Energy, has already received about $800 million in reservations. An impressive number, given that Musk just unveiled Tesla Energy a week ago. Yeah, it took them like, what, a week to to max out? (laughs) Now, as Bloomberg warns, for now, that's just a number because it's a reservation that doesn't mean necessarily convert to sales. That's especially true for the home storage batteries. But if you look at the actual numbers, let me scroll down here. Um, the home batteries have received 38,000 reservations, which let's on the rough side, that's $180 million worth of reservations. But on the commercial side, they've received 2,500 reservations for $625 million. Wow, yeah. So that, I mean, you know, if businesses are thinking this way, it will shift it. You know, this is big. Now, the problem with that is, with such high demand, Musk said Tesla could easily devote its entire gigafactory slated to open sometime next year to storage devices. Unfortunately... He said, the company already promised two-thirds of the f- facility to electric vehicle batteries. Yeah, so they're in a pinch. There's so much demand for their products, they've got to decide, do we make cars or do we make batteries? Yeah. So a bigger factory does sound great, but maybe keep the name Gigafactory. Yoda Factory. Actually, that kind of sounds good. Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't actually have the same ring to it, but ha- I probably pronounced it wrong. Hmm. Yoda Factory. I would say Yoda Factory. See, Yoda Factory sounds cool. That makes me think of the little Jedi. Yoda yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's yeah. like. But you... yeah, and he when he gave his talk, he talked. He was talking like this Gigafactory. There's only one of them now, and he, it's still, you know, under. It hasn't even been yeah, built. It's still under <laughs> process, but he's thinking big and saying, "Oh, this is also a technology. We're going to build several Gigafactories." But yeah, that'll take time. They haven't built the first one yet, so. Either the people who really want their cars or the people who really want their home batteries are going to have to wait. Yeah, it's like... But that's a good situation to be in, both as a business person and as someone trying to get people to 
switch where their energy comes from, is to have so much demand that you can't meet it. Now, I in the our thing here, we do have some short stories that if you wanted to get our newsletter, you receive them, and we don't really talk about them. Yeah. One of them was, um, you remember the ugly and fruit and vegetables that were all the range in uh, France last summer? Well, actually, they're coming to America. Well, more to the point, they've been here for a while, mm-hmm. but now there's a business that's um, planning to bring those ugly vegetables to us. Yeah. I mean, they just get thrown away because people are like, they want... It it amazes me how t- more tasty things are when they don't look perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know. Some delicious food. So. And wow, all sorts of good stories in there. Climate change, put to music, and reality TV. <laughs> yep. So what what holidays have we got coming up? Um, oh, I don't know if this counts as a holiday. Eastern Pacific hurricane season is starting. Oh, <laughs> uh, dang. So, so batten down the hatches. Uh, Nylon Stockings Day and Peace Officer Memorial Day and UN International Day of Families. Lots of holidays coming up. Saturday is the anniversary of the Academy Awards. We just throw in some random stuff in here, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sunday is Flower Moon. UN World Telecommunication and Information Society Day and the anniversary of the first U.S. same-sex marriage. Wow, that's an exciting one. So, coming up on Monday, International Museum Day, Turn Beauty Inside Out Day. That's a good day to eat those veggies that are cosmetically different. <laughs> it's just like... But just as delicious. Wednesday is International Virtual Assistance Day. And um, the official international, I mean, excuse me, National Bike to Work Day. I think we always celebrate it on Friday here. Yeah, I think it's the closest Friday, if I remember. So um, Thursday is National Waitstaff Day and UN Work Day for the Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development and the Anniversary of the American Red Cross. There we go. All right, let's see what happenings we've got coming up. There's the uh, Pagan Art Month Reception coming up on Sunday at from 1 to 4 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. Now, they've been doing a series of art shows over at Guy House now. It's a new program where once a month there's a different artist or group of artists. And this month, uh, the spiritual theme over at Guy House is paganism, and so they did an art show for it. Reception Sunday, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Get to see some exciting art. And I suppose, I mean, if you're, if they're doing an art show every month, you're going to need some artists to sh- yeah. come up with themes and do some. I don't suppose you can come up with 12 themes <laughs> like really easily. Yeah, it's not easy to come up with them just quickly. So I know there are a lot of artists here in Southern Illinois. If you'd like to see your art displayed publicly at Guy House, you can give us a call, give them a call at 618-549-7387. Or director at ourguyhouse.org. Yeah, I know that guy. on tuesday transpoetic playground meets at guy house on the first and third tuesdays of each month there are a few simple guidelines but mainly show up yep show up and listen or share on tuesday at 8 p.m or every other tuesday yeah also coming up uh, next thursday is the faith and environment over at guy house interfaith center thursday at 7 p.m it's an ongoing series of conversations held on the third thursday of each month Each month features an exploration of a different 
aspect of the relationship between faith and environment. Now, they, they haven't implemented this yet, but they're talking about an idea of alternating between showing a movie and discussing it from a, a faith perspective, and then the next week having a, a different speaker from a different uh, faith. faith background. Yeah. Say, you know, like they could say, oh, what, what is the relationship between, you know, Christianity and the environment, or Judaism and the environment, or paganism and the environment. So it's a really interesting series. And the next one is Thursday at 7 p.m. Mark your calendar for Saturday, May 23rd, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. The Omni Sale is a yard sale plus bake sale plus craft sale plus an arch sale at Guy House Front Lawn. So the a space is only $5, so contact Guy House. Um, you know, you can donate more than $5, but basically it's saying $5 for a space. Yeah, $5 gets you in the door or out on the lawn, as the case may be. <laughs> it is a yard sale, not a door sale. Right? Yeah, it's a yard sale. And it's the, well, it's the Omni sale. <laughs> it's more than any yard sale. All right, so coming up next week also, we've got the Brown Bag Concert Series. It's on Wednesdays from noon to 1 p.m. at the Carbondale Town Square Pavilion. I think it's for eight weeks, and I think they've already done two already. Yeah, it looks like they've done two already. The next one is the Natives coming up next Wednesday, if I've got my dates right in my head. Yeah, so uh, yeah, the Natives coming up on Wednesday, noon to 1 p.m., and it's a fun chance to go out there in the town square, eat a little lunch from a local business on, out on the town square, Listen to some good music. It's a good time. Also, a series that just started, also I think about eight weeks, Friday Night Fair, Fridays, 6 to 9 p.m. at the Carbondale Town Square. This is a free community event for everybody. They you know, have live music, um, a lot of kids' activities, and music. Did I forget? <laughs> Mention music? Music, yeah. Great way to start Fridays evenings, 6 to 9 p.m. every Friday. Um, I think this Friday today is the second one in the series. So make sure, don't do like I do and plan to go and then end up going to the last one because, you know, it just like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it looks like tonight is the, the Black 40s and the Jewels performing tonight at the Friday Night Fair. And Saturday, we're back to two farmers markets. Carbondale Community Farmers Market at the Carbondale Community High School, Saturdays, 9 till noon. More information, Carbondale Community Farmers Market. Yeah, that's exciting to go to a farmers market because we were talking earlier in the Panera story about how, you know, all of this stuff that can be in food. But if you see the farmer, you can talk to them and find out right there. Well, I mean, they could still put stuff in it, yeah. but they have to tell you to your face. Yeah, they got to tell you to your face. You, <laughs> What did you put in my food? <laughs> yeah, just like, I mean. How do you pronounce that? <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. And then there are some who will be, you know, there's some at the farmer's markets who will be organic or, you know, ecologically grown. Yeah, there's, or sustainable. Sustainable. Or, you know, and I mean, they grew explain. it themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing of the farmer's market. They grew it. They made it. You could talk to them right there. Yeah, they can tell you what's in it, and then I can tell you how they grew it. Tomorrow, there's two events. The Sierra Club Native Plant Sale at the Carbondale Town Square Pavilion at 10 a.m., and then the Green Earth Monthly Workday, 9 a.m. till noon, and you need to go to greenearthinc.org to see where the latest workday is. Um, any other things? We're wrapping it up. Yeah, wrapping it up. 
Uh, let's see. Wednesday is the racial taboo film showing at the Carbondale Public Library. That's next Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. at the Carbondale Public Library. Yeah, that's a film about race in America. So, Knock Hunger Out of the Park. That's coming up on Wednesday, May 20th at 7.05 p.m. at the Rent One Park. That's Thousand Miners Drive in Marion. Knock Hunger Out of the Park is an event to benefit local food pantries in southern Illinois. They ask the community to donate non-perishable food items each Wednesday night. And on the 20th, it's going to benefit Good Samaritan Food Pantry here in Carbondale. That's they do a lot of good work here, helping to feed people who are in need. And the first 250 people who come get a T-shirt, and each game game will feature a new T-shirt design. Yeah, and in order to get that T-shirt, you got to bring 10 non-perishable food items, because it's all about helping to feed people who are looking for food. Now, a, a new art show set up in Long Branch Cafe and Bakery, a spiritual journey photography by Catherine Frith will be set up May 22nd to July 6th. And so mark your calendar for that. It's it's really interesting because it shows pictures from all over Asia into multiple different religions. Islam, Buddhism, Suf- Confucianism, Hinduism, all the isms. <laughs> yeah. So. It's, it's interesting to have an interfaith art show like that. You get to see all those faiths and what their places look like. In Asia. All right, we've got time for another one here. Uh, Rainbow Cafe Yard Sale. The Rainbow Cafe is having their second annual fundraising yard sale, and they need your donations. Donations will help support the success of a local organization that supports lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth in Southern Illinois. So they've already done one of the donation dates, but there's another one coming up on May 17th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Or you can call to set up a time. They're Looking for donations, and they'll help you to get them to that. You can visit rainbowcafe.org or call 618-521-2328, and the yard sale is set for May 23rd. Ooh. So So you can go to two yard sales on May 23rd, the Rainbow Cafe yard sale and the Omni sale at Kai House. And I just want you to mark your calendar for a few events that will actually be later in the month. The Sparrow Coalition Celebration, Tuesday, May 26th. And the Household Chemical Collection event, Saturday, May 30th. And the Keep Carbonell Beautiful announces their June 7th garden tour. So if you would like your garden to be on the tour, you must contact Keep Carbonell Beautiful. But regardless, mark your calendar for Sunday, June 7th. The self-guided tour will begin at the Town Square Pavilion. That sounds like fun. Yeah, good yeah. times. So, I think this has been another exciting. Yep, it's been exciting for me to learn all these things. <laughs> and it's been an informative, your community spirit. We are live on the radio each week talking about whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever comes to mind, you know, environmental, community happenings. If you would like to listen to the show again, every once in a while, we remember to put it on our website, (laughs) yourcommunityspirit.org. If you would like to send us an email with complaints, kudos, nowadays you can even send money via email, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Good deal. Thanks for listening, and it's beautiful weather out there, so enjoy the weather. 
And we'll see you here next week on the radio. And maybe we'll see you at one of the two farmer's markets. <laughs>